0: This week on the Road to Cinema Podcast, we sit down with screenwriter Brent Goldberg for a candid conversation about what it means to have a career as a screenwriter and the evolution of a career being both a writer and a father. Brent's credits include Van Wilder, starring Ryan Reynolds, and The Girl Next Door, starring Emile Hirsch. It's a great conversation about the trials and tribulations of being a writer and how that career can change over time. You can follow Brent Goldberg on Instagram, at Average Dads, which you can see glimpses into his great comedy web series, which features actress Jamie Presley. For more information on the Road to Cinema podcast, to read the Road to Cinema blog, and to watch our Road to Cinema YouTube series, please visit jogroadproductions.com. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch some of our video interviews with Don Cheadle, Ewan McGregor and Greta Gerwig. You can follow us on Instagram, Jog Road Productions, on Twitter at Jog Road, and you can like our Jog Road Productions Facebook page. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button on iTunes for the Road to Cinema Podcast to get an episode downloaded every week. And you can also write us a nice review on the iTunes Podcast page under the Road to Cinema Podcast. And now we join screenwriter Brent Goldberg as he takes us on a journey through the development of his career as a screenwriter and his day-to-day life, balancing being a writer and a father. You can check out Brent Goldberg's comedy web series, Average Dads, at averagedads.com. And you can follow at averagedads on Instagram. Please excuse the noise as we recorded at a diner somewhere in the valley.
1: You know, I I have, um... I do have a lot of meetings at, at, um diners and coffee shops and uh i've done that for since i started and there's always that feeling of uh, even when people do have offices like i have an office at the house which with kids now becomes increasingly difficult to like you can write but it really has to be compartmentalized uh, like two hours before my daughter gets off the bus and i have to go pick her up from the bus stop yeah and um and i'll be writing something that's like not kid friendly necessarily I'm writing like something irreverent you know or some like rewrite where they want like a big comedy set piece and then you immediately have to shift out and uh, and you know care about your kid yeah which is weird
0: Do you ever try to, like, lock the door or say, like, hey, like, put a sign up and say, hey, I'm working, I can't, I can't be disturbed or anything like that?
1: You know, Netflix is really, like, a great thing for parents, and I don't know if it's a great thing for parenting, (laughs) but it's, like, if I, if I do have a deadline or I am trying to finish a scene, it's, like, when she gets home from school, I'll, like, make her a little snack, and then she'll put on Lab Rats or something on Netflix, and it just keeps rolling, you know, and, um... And then I'll be able to, like, finish my thing. And I do, though, write with that sense of guilt of, like, terrible parent. (laughs) Terrible parent, average writer. Like, I don't know what's the, you know, like, what's
0: the... You know, some people work out of the house, you work in the house, so it's still your office. So you still
1: have that... uh, Yeah, I do. And so it brings me back to, like, so I'll, like, take meetings at at diners, delis, or coffee shops, and I find that development goes well because it's also the other person they're coming from their office they're able to like just step away and talk about story or talk about uh, in a more casual manner and it helps kind of uh, just keep it casual before going back to like all the emails and all the texts and all the things that they have to do. Being out
0: of that environment, being out of that zone. Yeah
1: and for me being out of the craziness of like the stuff that happens at home and even when it's not like when the kids—I have two kids—and then they'll be off, and my wife works, and so technically I do have like a good six-hour time frame yeah. to do all the writing that I should need to do. But you know, sometimes you sit down and it's just like you're not feeling the inspiration. Or I'm listening to Howard—Ike Baron Holtz was on this morning on Howard Stern, and he's hilarious, and I'm like, yeah. that kills an hour and a half.
0: Um, Do you ever set up your day where you sort of plan out a schedule, like, I'm going to write this many pages, I'm going to work on these specific assignments or these
1: projects? That's a good question. I'm glad you asked. I sure do. And it never really works out. You know, it's it's, a...
0: So if you look back at that list at the end of the day, it's not what you originally set out to accomplish I think
1: it is ways. important to make a list yeah you know and, and to have a, a goal sheet and whether it's a daily or a weekly especially when now everybody's you know doing ten different projects which is detrimental most of the time to all of them because you shouldn't try and do that many yeah. you know but I do I'll like sit down now and, and um, if I'm getting paid to write one thing there's like the nine things that I'm like well that's what I really like and so I'll try and fit like I want to write the thing that I, the draft I owe. I want to write five pages if I can today that are good. And then usually it means just writing ten to fifteen pages, and then finding one that's good, you know, or like a kernel or a notion, and um, that's like a, it's a, it's a messed up process that I have, but it's just sort of how it's worked. And so then I end up like taking that notion, and then I'll go for a hike with like a sheet of paper and I'll just be kind of going over and over it. So sort of like my writing room right now is like the breakfast table with my wife and kids. And I'll be like bouncing ideas off of them where they're all trying to like, you know, get to school and get to work. And then, um, you know, I have like where I live now is um, there's like a, a lot of showbiz people have moved to this sort of place where I live and then they've all uh, a, a really funny comedian friend of mine who's a mother my kid's soccer team she said this thing that's so true which is like we're living in a place where um, we're going after our dream but we're living in a place where people have already accomplished theirs Yeah. and so there's like a certain sense of self-loathing that comes with that you know <laughs> that's like like what are we what am I am I still going at am I still like you know I was just. I'm sorry. I'm all over the place, but. I was oh no! Just, you're, you're good. Okay. I was just. Up, we. I was just up for um, a job. Uh, turning Van Wilder, the movie, into a TV series. And that included. And uh, you had written
0: the original screenplay with your writing partner David I, Wagner. Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
1: And so, and we haven't been writing for around four or five years. We've, we've writing our separate stuff now. But there's been a couple projects that here and there that would, would bind us together. Like a producer had called from, who works at Disney XD. And he was like, would you guys want to write this thing? It's, it's this thing that's going to be like a million dollar movie if it works. And we're like, cool. And we got back together and that, that worked fine. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but ultimately we wrote together for around 15 years and he's a good friend. and um, But we just, there were things that were happening in my life with, with my family and my kids and, and parents and stuff that I would meet. I was like, oh, I really want to write that, explore that storyline and that, and then he wasn't, he was having his own experiences and his own thing. So ultimately, that's why we agreed to, to start doing our own thing. But things like Van, turning Van Wilder into a series, they yeah. would, it would, it would bring us back together and so, that is something I wanted to talk about because it's, it's, um, it was a learning experience for me in that the uh, they don't have to... The TV studio, whoever's owning the, the idea now, they don't have to go back to the screenwriters to develop the TV show.
0: Means technically the intellectual property is owned by them. That's correct. So, yeah,
1: They got that IP, that sweet, sweet IP. <laughs> and um, And so... We get, like, uh, I got, like, a courtesy call from the producer, one of the producers, who was, like, oh, um, we don't have to go back to you guys. Like, let us know, like, we don't have to go back to you guys. But you could essentially get a courtesy meeting to come in if you had a version of a TV show that you could see and you can pitch. And so, um, we, like, after being, like, they don't have to go to us? And then looking up, and we're like, oh, yeah, they don't. It's like no they own it that that's that's fine we went in and took the meeting so the courtesy meeting is like you essentially are pitching for the right to pitch yeah and uh, that meeting went so it's like a pre-pitch it's like a, a pre-pitch yeah. it's sort of like a you know it's a version of a water meeting you know you go you come in you get validated can I get you some to drink water is great you got around 30 minutes slotted for that if it goes really well it could turn into 45 or an hour but sometimes it's like a 20 minute and so had you
0: guys brainstormed the pitch beforehand
1: we had pit we had worked for around a month coming up with a take something that that was you, you think is unique and and interesting and also like ryan reynolds is not necessarily attached his production company might be and so it was like he's not going to be in it, most likely. Maybe things have changed now, but so you're you're left with that of like, can you make a Van Wilder TV show without the most important part of it, you yeah. know? And so, um, but we came up with, I think, a really good, my writing partner, he came up with a very smart in, and then we developed a pitch around that. and. Got past the courtesy pitch and to courtesy pitch number two, which was to pitch to the other producers. So you guys
0: came in for another meeting.
1: Uh, yeah, separate yeah. another meeting after they gave us some notes on our original idea, and um, in that, so that was about another month. So there's two months of sort of honing and crafting this idea, knowing that the studio at the time, which was um, I won't say the t- is a TV studio that was um, wanting to do the deal. They had, like, three or four writing teams that were their homegrown talent, smart, funny, shows on the air, you know, so it was like...
0: So they were competing along yes. with you guys. And, Is that and, where that
1: term bake-off
0: comes from? Mm-hmm. Where they say all these writing teams are competing against each other, different pitches?
1: I've not heard of it in those terms, but yeah. for sure they're probably like, it's a bake-off, yeah. <laughs> like, I th- I ca- it's like, for us, it was more of a fuck-off. Sorry, am I allowed to, oh, yeah, you're I to say good. It off? You're
2: perfect.
1: Um, so we then were ready with a good pitch, and then like we like we bring visuals with like that here's here's the character that's going to be playing, be it a young Ryan Reynolds or Ryan Reynolds' nephew or. Ryan Reynolds' daughter. I don't want to say exact because I don't know what take they ultimately went with, but yeah. that's where it, it led itself to. It, it was then like figuring out a different way. If if uh, if if Ryan wasn't going to do it, could we have him in it in like a Charlie's Angels sort of way, where he, he was like a voice or he yeah. was there like makes a, a
0: cameo every few episodes? Yeah, something, something
1: like that. that that ties yeah. it together thematically, and that was open. That was on the table, and so. Um, Ultimately, we went in and pitched, and it was like, uh, the pitch was just a disaster. It was a disaster. It was at Universal. I'll say that it was at Universal. <laughs> it wasn't their fault, necessarily, but it was like, I, that you're something being, that I'm wondering. Do you get, sure. you've
0: been doing this for so long, do you mm-hmm. get nervous before you go into pitch? Like, you're like the night before, are you, like, sweating it out, like, overthinking what you're going to say, sure. or anything like that? Sure.
1: I'm, I'm... I like to over prepare, and so like I'll go over the pitch at least 30 times. Like I'll perform it out loud for like everybody around my neighborhood, like the the frogs, the coyotes, <laughs> the kids, the bus driver. I'll just take high. I'll just go over it. And in the, on the way here, I'm going over a pitch, and I'm in my car, and I'm just going over the pitch. It looks like I'm talking to myself, and yeah. and not like necessarily like the comedic beats, but just like the bullet points. So then when I'm in the room, I can feel like it's off the cuff and, and not. I don't like to bring in pages. Actually, I take that back. I didn't used to bring in pages and then when I stopped selling things, I was bringing in pages and I was more like, like, all oh, precious about these plot points and these things that frankly in the room, they're not, for me at least, they weren't, when they were like looking up from their notepads and engaged, yeah. because I'm making eye contact with them uh, in a really seductive way. Then I knew I had them, <laughs> um, and so for sure nervous every time, and um, but the fact that I would I would have it prepared would make me less nervous, and then ultimately I was nervous not about not like remembering things I was nervous about not um, them passing, yeah. I was nervous about like what are they what are they. Um, like after really after 30 seconds to a minute you know if it's good or bad and at that Universal Van Wilder series pitch meeting I knew after the first joke um, and I can't remember if I wrote the joke if my writing partner said it or if he wrote it and he said well either way it was like it just it 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 just was it was not um, it was like I don't think they're going to make the show, I think they just particularly wanted to have a deal with, with Ryan's company, and I could be speaking completely out of school, but it was like, um, it just didn't feel like the right fit, not all the right producers were were together with it and such, and so yeah. that was something that, um, there have been lots of good pitch meetings, and then that was just not one of them.
0: It must be tough to go in, and after the first 30 seconds, like you said, you know that they're you know, like the blinds have closed and they're yes. out and you have to keep going.
1: It's, pre- it's pretty brutal. It's pretty brutal. But you gotta, you know, it's like a, you know, it's a, 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 a privilege and a blessing to be doing it, you yeah. know, to be even like be in this industry and to have like, to, you know, to, every time I like Drive to the meeting and then go through that process of like parking and walking up in the elevator and feeling like those nerves, and it's like that pre game feel. I, I remind myself, like, this is a, this is a job that's um, really lucky to have, and I've always felt like it, it can go away at any minute. And I think it has. And now I'm like, re, I'm like retaking agency meetings now and I'm like going back and like um, sort of rediscovering what I loved about writing and about the yeah. business like since having kids and... and um. Well, what I'd like to do is sort of yeah, go sure. all the way
0: back to the very, very beginning sure. and then we can kind of go to where you are now and mm-hmm. that can kind of give us a really good solid context. Mm-hmm. Um, so from the very beginning, I mean, you just kind of, did you move out here? Were you from Los Angeles? Um,
1: I was from, I am from the valley, San Fernando Valley, the 818, and uh, I grew up in a um, place called Woodland Hills, and that's actually where I'm back now, so I've really, literally have come full circle. Um, And, uh, but I wasn't connect, I was like, you know, 20 minutes away from from the studios, and But I was not I didn't know anybody, my parents weren't in show business and um, Did you I was have not, that
0: itch to be involved in any way or
1: you know what? I didn't I didn't until my parents got divorced. You know, my was I was around five and my dad moved away and then my mom was working and so I would go to school and then I would um, after school hang out with the neighbor kids who were a little bit older and they started and they became like i didn't have any brothers or sisters that were my sister was living with my dad and so it was really just me and so the neighbor like cool kids became my compass of what was what was relevant and and and, um got up on things early and they um they started introducing me to john hughes movies and they were they were watching you know like 16 candles and breakfast club and fast times at ridgemont high uh, Camera Crow. They those movies had like a, a an early influence on me because I was like these movies are making these cool kids laugh. And like these school kids are like telling everybody else at school like, oh this is this is so funny and they shoot this at, at the Sherman Oaks Galleria and they were like there was something that was like tangible about it to me and i started quoting lines i would watch those movies over and over again even though i wasn't supposed to when i was younger and i would wa- i would quote those lines and so i was like this like nine-year-old kid who was like pretending to be anthony michael hall in 60 candles and then like the the people that were the cool kids were like loving it and i was like huh and so at first i wanted to be an actor and i thought that that's i didn't i didn't put it together that like oh somebody's writing those lines and um, and so I just would start. I was doing. I would do like little comedy bits and things in class and school. I was a terrible student. In fact, I would um, I cheated all the time, and I would cheat off of my friends. And um, found really lots of different ways to use like cheat sheets. And I'm not proud of it, but it's just what it's just what happened. And I would just be writing little stories and things. I would be fantasizing what I would rather be doing than taking that biology test.
2: Yeah.
1: And um, later those stories became Girl Next Door, this movie I wrote. No, I'm just kidding. Uh-huh. It's right. and, and so yeah, so as I got older and as I went through school, I maintained the same friends that I literally had since kindergarten. And I fell into this like they were um, athletes and like, were winning most popular and, and such. And I was like the, the kind of like the jester, somebody that would just kind of make them laugh and they would like let me hang out with them and, and go to their parties and such. And uh, one of the guys in that, in that group was just one year older was David Wagner, who would become my writing partner. But in high school, he was um, an actor, like a working actor and singer. And do you remember Star Search? This is yeah.
0: Oh yeah, Ed McMahon.
1: Ed McMahon. So he was on a show called Junior Star Search, and he won the whole he won the whole thing. Yeah. And um, so he was that kid that would always like get like summoned out of school because he had like an audition. And so then um, we we obviously hated him for that. We were <laughs> jealous. <laughs> he wants to be in school. Yeah. <laughs> um, didn't really hang out that much. I ended up playing, you know, really. Uh, Instead of working on my comedy craft, I worked on my basketball craft, which was a total waste of time, but enough to make the team and give me confidence and hang out with the basketball players through high school and make me feel like I could play in college. And I'm like 6'2, I'm okay, but it was not even, it was like so far from being close. And, um, but I did go and walk on to uh, the junior college team at Santa Barbara, the Santa Barbara City Gauchos and uh, played there for like two weeks. It was just, just, people were so much better. (laughs) It was just like, like, the guys my height were dunking and had like super handles, and I was like playing center in my high school in Woodland Hills. So, um, but it brings me to, I was gonna, I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I was, this is like in 1994, um, I had graduated high school. All my friends had gone on to work. My friends that were now in the entertainment industry were working as like assistants at ICM. My good buddy was working as a um, sports agent at, at William Morris at the time, and I was like, what the, f- what the fuck am I? What the fuck am I gonna do? So I came back home and um, started waiting tables, and. Uh, my friend, who was working at, at ICM, mentioned that David Wagner, who we went to high school with, was uh, starting to write screenwriter. And I had never really even even thought about that since I had fell in love with comedy early on. but I, um, we were introduced, and we took this post-writing, uh, sc- this postgraduate screenwriting class at UCLA, and four of us wrote a screenplay together) <laughs> it was like we were each going to write a vignette yeah. like 25 pages and then put it together and it was me and, and my buddy that worked at ICM and then David and then his writing partner at the time and the script got like a little traction like the teacher loved it and um, it kind of went through the, the machinations of like oh uh, this executive at um, New Line is looking for this thing and it was like our version of Swingers Swingers had just come out and so we kind of wrote our version of Four guys trying to make it in Hollywood, but living in the Valley, and we had he, we um, were like, well, let's get actors and, and connections, and maybe that'll help. And so we got Joey Lawrence attached. Letter of intent from Tom Arnold, I remember, was floating around. Ah. Believe it or not, that those elements did not put it over the top. <laughs> but we got an agent, and um, so at that point, you
0: definitely knew that this was what you wanted to do career-wise.
1: I realized that that there was like m- meeting David who had gone to UCLA and taken like traditional screenwriting classes and courses, it put it in a context of like, oh, this is something that's, this is a job, like this is a potential like arena and um, to go into and I was almost, you know, not almost, I was extremely naive in how hard it is, you know, and what a long shot it was. But I had this attitude that I had lost since I, I um, uh, have gotten a little bit older, which was like a, I think now it's like, um, back then I was, it was like a kind of, I like, acted like I didn't give a fuck. It was like zero fucks given. Although really, I gave many bucks. I like overcare. You know, it's like I'm in this business because it's filling this void, this hole of me. Like, oh, maybe if I maybe if I make people laugh, my dad will come back. Or you know, it's like this thing. But in a context of going in and selling an idea, you know, um, I was young and like had uh, fake it till I make it degree, and it ended up kind of things started happening because of that and i was still waiting tables while i was writing and so from the time that i met david we wrote that first um spec script which ultimately didn't didn't go anywhere but got us uh an agent there's around 8 years of just writing scripts and failing and um trying so that to was, find... So that was
0: eight years from deciding I'm going to write with David to getting traction on that script and getting an agent.
1: Yeah, and the thing that, that really, that really um, turned for us was uh, doing this short film. And it was called Saving Ryan's Privates. And it was... I'm really dating myself now, but it was before the internet. And uh, there was like a run of short films that had come out at that time there was one called george lucas and love there was one called swing blade which was a mashup of swingers and sling blade and then there was ours saving minds privates and they all came out like within a year and in the to give you an idea of the climate of what screenplays were like at that time american adam hers had just sold american pie to universal and i remember the the cover page of our agent had given us that they were like read this script and it was like at that time, it was called teenage sex comedy. That your kid, that you'll hate, but your kids will probably love. And it like changed the it changed the climate a little bit because before that, the last teenage sex comedy was Porky's, you know, going back to yeah. Fast Times and and those um,
0: John Hughes movies. Those were from a decade earlier. Yeah, so those were very far away. Exactly, and yeah. so
1: you know, it's like ebb and flows. Every sort of decade or so, like a genre comes back, and then all of a sudden, it was like they couldn't. Hollywood at that point couldn't get enough of those teenage sex romp comedies, yeah. so, but we couldn't get our scripts read, and so um, we funded and acted in and wrote and directed and shot this film, Saving Rides Privates, and it got crazy traction. We made it, you know, we... we
0: now at <laughs> that time before YouTube, I mean, were people passing around video cassettes? That's exactly what it was.
1: We, we burned it ultimately to a VHS and uh went to mailbox (laughs) etc and got a list of 50 agents managers producers and we literally just mailed it to all of them Just snail mail a a general letter it's just like a yeah like a like a little log line like we made this with our bar mitzvah money it's (laughs) uh uh here's the log line and we even sent it to spielberg to dreamworks at the time and um we're not led. I'm not led on that lot still. <laughs> but it got traction in the way that, that uh, because it was before the internet, everybody was talking about it. People were talking about it at lunch. Did you see this thing that came out? And it was like, oh, another short film. Like, oh, this thing's pretty funny and it looks great. And so um, the director of it, Craig Moss, and, and um, David and myself who wrote it, we ended up getting tons of meetings separately. And the meeting for Craig turned into a a deal at a production company and a script that he had already written and had and, and had ready to go. And for David and I, one of the meetings that we had was with Andrew Panay at Tapestry Films and Jennifer Gibgott at Tapestry Films and, and they pitched us the kernel of Van Wilder. About they're like they're like, We love the short film. We love that you did that. And then we read some of your spec scripts. They're not great, but we still think that you guys have maybe <laughs> something. And they're like, we're looking to do a movie about a kid that doesn't want to graduate college.
2: Yeah.
1: And, um, I was like, that's very relatable. I'm still that way now, even though I'm not in college. I'm, I'm you know, and so, um, I wrote that, we wrote that for 75, I should said, it was $7,500 to split. To split? To split. Ah. And, um, that's what our agent said at the time. <laughs> and uh, I was waiting tables at a place called Cosmo's Grill and Rotisserie, uh, which is now a coffee bean in Calabasas. And um, I would have written, you know, like I do now. It's like I would have written it for free. Yeah. And, and the deal was a deal that, like, that Tapestry gave to allow us to see, like, hey, is there something there? And, and ultimately, it was not about the money. We weren't even in the, in the guild at that time but it it became a spec script you know and that took around 2 or 3 years for for penne and give up for them to go and get it made but it gave me that was something that that it was like the sixth script that i had written but it was written with um production company notes and uh it was a what was called a proceed to production which was like they were starting to line up financing and had an idea for Ryan Reynolds at the time as we were writing it, even though that we didn't even really know it. You know, and so the budget was kept really low. The, uh, you know, we were writing set pieces, keeping in mind that we only maybe had like 25 days to shoot. And um, and then from that script that opened the door for other... Uh, for other things that we were going to do together and and at that point that's you know our writing team was formed the other two guys that we were writing with prior to that that we had written that first script with had gotten um, other jobs and were succeeding in the business side of it and uh, and so Dave and I were like okay it's just us you know um, so did this feel like a victory to you guys that you got
0: this screenplay and was about to be produced and
1: Oh, hundred yeah. percent. You know, it, it all feels like I of the first call that we'd written around ten drafts of of in about a year with um, Taylor making it for different actors. So before it was Ryan. I remember we got a call uh, that uh, Matthew Lillard w- loved the script uh, and he from was attached. Lost, right? Is he, uh... Matthew was he in Lost? Matthew Lillard was he's a an actor community, He was like in um, Without a Paddle. Oh, okay. Gotcha. I think like SLC Punk, like a funny, yeah. Scooby-Doo, he plays Shaggy in Scooby-Doo, I think, like a funny actor, and um, we were like, awesome, and they were like, they were like, it's happening, we're going to have a table read, they were like going through all these steps, so I was like, <laughs> huh, what? And um, it didn't happen, it's just like those pieces, and they weren't wrong for calling and telling us that, but it was just like, that was one of like, Ten to twenty hurdles that, that happened along the way, and the thing that kept that kept me grounded was like I was waiting tables, two shifts, you know, during the day and, and during the night. Now they weren't
0: paying you any more than that seventy-five that you were splitting. That was it. Up until oh yeah, and the that's you know made. after
1: you split that and pay an agent and a lawyer fee, and I'm not complaining at all because again, hashtag blessed. Feel great to to be paid at all, but it's like, is it maybe you clear like a grand, you know. <laughs> And yet, that that thousand dollars was my my rent was four twenty five in the studio apartment. I ate, you know, still do now. Go back to a top ramen, Spaghettios back in the day. Now too much MSG. And uh, but I would just write, you know, I would just write like sixteen hours a day. And I I did. I will say I had this drive of, um, you know, that Rocky had and Rocky One And now. I feel like I have that drive that Rocky had in like the beginning of Rocky 3 where Burgess Meredith, and I'll explain, Burgess Meredith, (laughs) RIP, he says to Rocky, like Rocky's like, "Why why don't you believe in me anymore? He's like, I'm the same, I'm the same guy. And then, and then Mickey's like, well, the worst thing happened to you that could happen to fighters, you got civilized. And like. I don't feel civilized. Like I'm, I'm still like I'm like a, a, a an an like an animal. Like I feel like I'm like the so you one still that's feel
0: not, that guy who's writing sixteen hours a day still lives in you somewhere.
1: It is, it is. Yeah. But I have to, I have to create those sixteen hours. Are like now, you know, segments of the day and of the night, and then then you throw in like family time, you know, doing stuff. So your wife you know, is like appreciates, you know, you and, and realizes that, you know, of, of you know, and like you can explain like, oh, writing is hard and stuff, but it's really, it's, it's, here's the thing, when you, for me, I said when I had kids and moved into, so I moved back to uh, the valley after living in the big city for almost 10 years, and that's Studio City, baby. And... Um, <laughs> And, but they are now. Now I'm not 30 minutes away. I'm 10 minutes away. You know, I'm driving to Disney. Boom! I'm like 15 minutes away. And there's a connectivity there, that my life is half. You know, Burbank or Hollywood or where I need to be for lunches, meetings, connecting. Yeah. To now, I don't go to those anymore. You know, I I connect digitally. You know, like am we're following each other on social media and. and and liking each other's shit and, and, and connecting that way. We're having FaceTime meetings and stuff like that, and I'm writing something with my friend in New York um, on FaceTime. But there's like a, a little part of that writing and that, that hunger of 16 hours a day goes away because you're now like eight hours of that day is like, what happened at school today? And I'm like, oh, you got... I got two soccer practices, ballet, and then a play date, and then I also have this meeting, and then it, oh, there's that deadline, and you can kind of like um, get caught in that vortex, in that yeah. life. So it, it constantly takes um, self-discipline to maintain your your work ethic. And then, you know, self-discipline is fleeting. <laughs> uh, looking back at when...
0: You know, Van Wilder's about to be made, and Ryan Reynolds is going to do it. Yeah. I mean, did you guys feel like you had made it, quote unquote, or was that ever in your mind, or I mean,
1: um, a little. Yeah. I, I would be lying if I said if I said no. You know, there's yeah. a feeling of like this is this is. I know that we we were living many people's dreams, at that at that part, at that point. Even there were, like several. Van Wilder type of scripts that were circulating when Van got made, just as I have many scripts that almost got to the finish line, but another similar idea, similar genre, you know, made it, and so it was weird, because I was, I was young, and I was just, um, I just, <laughs> I was just asked to, to comment on this thing about uh when Van Wilder came out, they did a lot of um, back in the day. It was called EPK footage,
0: electronic press kit. Boom! Yeah, you yeah. got it. You're in the bit. You know.
1: <laughs> and so there was tons of behind the scenes interviews, and they they um, interviewed Ryan, and, and Comedy Central did this really funny thing with Ryan, and uh, and they also interviewed the writers, which is rare. You know, which is why it's a, a, a humbled to be here. It did like. Not many people want to hear from the writer. I mean now I should say now there's podcasts and there's different different platforms and ways for it to happen, but, yeah, it's, but it's you still see
0: sort of its actors and the director sure. to a certain degree who kind of gets more of the glitz of sure. the and, credit in a unfortunate way.
1: And frankly, yeah, I don't I don't really mind it to be honest with you. You know, it's like a, it's like it is nice to, to to talk about it and to um, you know, uh and to sort of shine light on like writing is, is difficult and it's a One discipline and you have to, you have to continue to, to work at it. But ultimately, like, I wanna see what the star has to say and like what the director has to say. Um, yeah. uh, but so yeah, so like, when I was on the set of, of, of Van and, and uh, I, I knew we were gonna talk about this a little bit and so I went back and I watched uh, the writer interview from that EPK footage. And I was, I was still me, but I was like a much more confident version of myself, you know? And so I was like, I think I was like feeling like, well, this is a moment, you know? And I wasn't like a a, a jerk or an asshole, but you know, I was like single and in shape and like uh, Ryan was so uh, very gracious about having us on the set, asking for like line pitches you know, and then. Um, so you were
0: collaborating while they were yeah, the movie, which is very rare. Very rare,
1: yeah. but didn't know that it was rare at the time. It was the first thing. It was the first movie, and to have that scenario. And he had just, you know, he was a relative. I mean, he was always a star, in my eyes. I mean, he was. At the time, though, he had only done commercially two guys, a girl, in a pizza place, and so. It uh, was, like was a sitcom. It was a sitcom. ADC, yeah. yeah, and he was really funny in that. Um, but when we got him attached, it took Tara Reid, who had was coming off of American Pie, for her heat to get foreign financing. And I think she like brought in the back half of fi- I don't know. It was it was very important that Indra went to get her at that point. And so um, I think I hear Ryan is still very cool and humble to this day. But at that point, it was like he was treating it like it was a maybe more of a sitcom set where you have like showrunners and and writers on the set and you're getting joke pitches and i think that really helped even for like you know for my terrible joke pitches that i would give him then he would know what not to do and then he would like turn it into something that was really funny and, and cool but when i look back and was looking at some of that footage i was like dressing like him either i was dressing like his like they were dressing his character or wardrobe was looking at this cool as hell writer (laughs) <laughs> like, I got Ryan's style right there. That's what he's going to look like. And so, <laughs> um, I do feel lucky and and, um, and really fortunate to have, have been there. But I think it was also balanced out by my writing partner is uh, uh, very smart and, and um, maybe a little more analytical and uh, maybe comes across as not as confident. And so then I was like, as a writing team, I would kind of... Hmm, maybe fake my confidence a little bit more to make it seem like we belong.
0: So are kind of balanced out. Try the, like, a little bit, and and
1: um, which is tough because really nobody, it, it is true that not really everybody knows what they're doing. I don't want to say nobody, but like I always feel like it's going to be taken away you know I think I said that earlier but
0: so like that's how you feel now as compared to then or just
1: even like, then yeah you know there was there was that that part of like this could all go away tomorrow and I think An- Andrew Panay the producer he's become a really good friend and he has that philosophy and that you just have to keep working and working because there's people that are already working harder than you they're already pissed off that that you may be at a place where where they want to be and and I don't know about the pissed off part, but I feel like, um, I yes, I do feel like it. it, it I've never really made it, and, and then be, especially because when I, I, um, when it does go away, and I don't say it goes away like where, where I am now, but like when I stopped, when, when movies stopped getting made, you realize that like oh, this was your run. You know, and in, in, in some people have two runs, three runs. Some people have no run. You know, and so like, but we had a run of where we got, we have Van Wilder, that got made, and then on the tails of that, um, a movie called Girl Next Door, with, uh, Emil Hirsch and, and Alicia Cuthbert and Timothy Olyphant it was really great in that, and um, that we got the the ability to pitch that because of the 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 fact that Van Wilder was getting made and it hadn't even come out yet. So it was like, before it came out and, and like underperformed commercially, there's like this little bit of a bump that you can get in the heat of like the movie's about to come out. And it's like, go out and try and sell at that point, you know, yeah. <laughs> before, so they can't, you know, and and it did help. And then when Girl Next Door came out, we ended up, through our producer, getting a deal at Miramax. And again, before Girl Next Door came out, so before that underperformed, yeah commercially we then got a deal at Miramax and was were then rewriting like current properties that they had and then that was great but that took up around almost like three to five years but it was consistent work where you were yeah yeah. it was consistent at that point I was able to to take a hiatus from waiting tables but through Van Wilder and Girl Next Door I remember a funny story on on Girl Next Door is um So there's a producer named Chuck Gordon, and he had a deal at Universal at the time, and he's produced Die Hard and Field of Dreams and um, real big tentpole movies. And um, we had come up with an idea based on our true experience about uh, this guy who wanted to take a porn star to his prom at El El Camino High School, which was our high school in Woodland Hills. And uh, we're like... We really like that. And we're like that fits in that in that romp category that they're now like sort of putting us in. Like, uh, what else do you have that's like Van Wilder was, was asking? Yeah. And then we discovered that um, concurrently on Howard Stern's show, there was this kid named Brad in Jersey, and ha- and he didn't have a date to his prom. And Howard and the crew had hooked him up with this girl Houston, who was a real porn star, and like cameras followed them and such. And so um, we had found out that we pitched our idea to the agent, and then he was like, did you know about the Howard Stern thing? And then we said, well, we do now. And he's like, I have an idea. Um, Chuck Gordon, this producer, is uh, working with Howard Stern on, on not that idea, but looking to do an idea. So the next thing we know, we're in Chuck Gordon's office on the Universal lot, and we're pitching Girl Next Door to Howard Stern on speakerphone and this was our second pitch like Van Wilder was really our first pitch and it wasn't really even a pitch it was just we were taking someone else's idea and kind of putting a, a loose story yeah. around it and but this is
0: an original concept that you guys this is original from yeah that.
1: front to bottom had no clue on on we had we were reading screenwriting books and how to pitch and how to sell but had no clue on length you know like <laughs> how to realize that you're pitching with somebody on a speakerphone. And so our pitch is around clocking in, you know, around 45 minutes. And had little moments of laughter and, and things in there, and we're acting it out and acting out the characters and giving the whole three-act structure. And uh, it was like dead air after you were done for... I uh, felt, felt like for at least 10 minutes, but it was probably like 10, 12 seconds. And then I'll never forget Howard goes, wow, that was detailed. <laughs> and so, that was a pass. Ultimately, that didn't work out with with Howard, but Chuck Gordon was able to work out his deal with, with Howard and, and his manager. And so, we got the right to pitch Girl Next Door. So then, we went on the rounds and pitched Girl Next Door to... We, we trimmed 25 minutes from that. And... Um, We went and pitched it to every studio, and they all passed. They were like, porn, pornography? No, they're like, it's just not, they're like, even though, you know, R-rated comedies are not popular, they're like, there was just, there was a stigma, and and maybe they were right, again, because it came out and and didn't didn't do well in the theaters. But uh, there was a director that really loved it, Luke Greenfield, and once he got involved, he started rewriting, and then they hired Stuart Bloomberg, this really talented writer, who ultimately, my writing partner myself and Stuart shared credit, writing credit on that film. Yeah. He did
0: the uh, the kids' role, right? Yeah, the uh, movie. Yeah. I think. yeah, yeah.
1: And he's uh, yeah. So he brought an element, and, and frankly, when I go back and I I watch that movie, I really like it, and you know I can't identify stuff that I wrote. You know, it's like. <laughs> It's like, there's not lines where they like, oh yeah, that one's mine. They're like uh, moments and like structurally and thematically and scenes that are like, that's our scenes. But like within there, the the, the uh, architecture of the scene being what it is, you know, Stuart got in there and really did a great job with, um, I think, with like capturing um, an attitude and a feeling of the movies that felt more like Cameron Crowe's style, which to me is something, still to this day, that I'm trying to get made. You know, that that style of um, R-rated comedy, which may be in a Judd Apatow yeah. realm now. I mean, like what he
0: did with uh, Fast Times Ridgemont High, Yeah. Back to Cameron Crowe, where it's really grounded. That's right. There's jokes in there, but you feel mm-hmm. more of a deeper sense of who these characters are, and there's a reality to it.
1: Yeah, and in those moments, because, you know, uh, when I look back at like at at a career and and trying to get back into my mindset of how I felt then, I realize now that I I don't want to say that I'm not proud of the work that I did, but I want to say that I wasn't prepared for it, and not like I wasn't prepared for like the ride, you know, but I wasn't prepared for almost the level that that I need to be at to really excel. You know, so like I realized that like that run of, of four movies that, have, that I still can't believe got made and maybe Masked, they all shouldn't have gotten made, but we, you know, but I would, if I, if I could do it again, I would really cultivate those personalities, I would cultivate those relationships and um, maybe continue to go to school. At that time, and, and and I just heard this quote uh, that Tina Fey said. Were, she was like, "If you want to, um, I'm paraphrasing, but it was basically, if you want to be a good writer, it was like take an acting class, so you know what you're asking your actors to do." I don't know if I'm getting that right, but it's so true. It's like sometimes I will, we'll write scenes, and it'll be like, "We can't, sh-, you know, it's like <laughs> we can't shoot this. It's too expensive. This actor is not." You know, it, it, it's not something the actor is going to want to do. You know, so there's, like, a lot of elements and a lot of nuances that it's a continual learning experience. And so I feel like in... Um, once I stopped... Once I had kids, like I said, I, I took a little bit of a, um, of a step back and decided, like, do I want to continue to write? And, and uh, was it something that I was still passionate about? And if I wasn't... Um, as hungry putting in those those hours um, could I identify what it was and and for me it was that the selling ideas and selling pitches um, in between making movies and now you know there was around I don't know maybe like eight years where I was just we were just selling every season which is fucking awesome it's great to sell you know I had a I was able to buy a house
0: as so you were selling pitches, selling, were pitches. Selling, yeah. selling pitches yeah like so so yeah. how
1: it would work it would be like um, uh, a producer would call and be like we have this uh, open writing assignment and um, it's for like 2 weeks on this on this <laughs> yeah. movie."
2: Um,
1: there's a movie there was a band called in sync <laughs> and uh, bad with dates but um, it was a long time ago and uh, so there was a movie that uh, the Insync team wanted Insync to do because Insync had good personalities and and, and thought that maybe like
0: when the Beatles did a Hard Day's Night in a way. So <laughs> similar,
1: so similar. And um, so uh, they were like, the movie is filming in Canada, and um, the script is already written.
2: Yeah.
1: But. We might need like we want set pieces and comedy and a little punch up. It's kind of a romantic comedy and flair, and we were like, "Fucking oh, awesome, yes!" Instinct was massive at the. It was just like at the peak of their of their um, popularity, and um, so then we found out that it wasn't Justin Timberlake or J C Chazay or a couple of the other gentlemen, but it was a uh, Fatone. And Lance Bass, who were buddies, and they were doing a comedy. And uh, Emmanuel Shariki from Entourage was going to be the love interest. And uh, we read the script, and it was called On the Line. And the script is okay. It was there's nothing that bad about the script. It was like a, it was like kind of like a light and frothy romantic comedy.
2: Yeah.
1: Um. And there was no real in sync music in it though, and, and um, and uh, But we got that job to go to Toronto. Is it Toronto or Vancouver? I don't remember. Shit. We got the job to go and hang out with the band, um, be on the set, rewrite these scenes, and it was like an intense two weeks of like such hard work and such rewriting scripts and scenes that you come out of that and you're like, um, your name's not on it. And you don't necessarily, if you want, if you would want your name on it, it's just, it's like a job for hire, and it's a great job, and, and it's like my rent is paid for another month. And so there were things like that that would pop up periodically in between me writing like a spec screenplay or, or going out to pitch a pilot. And so for several years, I fell into that where I was not attached to anything. You know, I was not writing things that were... That were like I was passionate about. So that
0: seems great in the short term, but in the long term, it didn't pay off as well. You nailed it. That, that's yeah.
1: exactly it. And at the end of it, it was like a there was nothing tangible, and it and so um, I wanted to start writing my own stuff and see is that something that would get me that would get me excited and get me passionate about it and stuff. And so I really kind of um, uh, I started I did. I said goodbye to my agents, which received... I was with ev- everybody through the run. We started out at, at an ag- a smaller agency and then ended up at CAA. And it
0: was you and your writing partner signed together, together as yeah. one entity in a way?
1: Yeah. Exactly. And then our um, agents at CAA went to another agency, and then we went with them, and then they left that agency, and then they went to another one, and we were like, what's the you know what's the, what do we do you know there was we weren't getting them work i will say and then they were also not getting us work so it was a, it was a mutual split but at that point i i and this was so this was around 4 years ago
2: yeah
1: i um broke off and started writing things that went back to writing what i know you know i was not in a guy that didn't want to graduate college anymore I was a dad saying, I should have graduated college. and um, But I realized that there was like something that was interesting that was happening in my life, and that my kid, like for example, my son started kindergarten, and in LA, is there's a lot of like, um, high-ranking executive parents and celebrity parents that were in, like uh, my kids were in class with their kids. And so that turned into um, a couple of pitch opportunities and I was able to like, sell a show to TBS uh, called Bad Parents based on like, these parents that are acting bad but they're trying to be good. Which sort of brought like, a feeling of of sort of that, that irreverent feel of, of things that I used to write mixed in with family. and. Um, At this
0: point were you writing by yourself? This was,
1: yeah, so that was the first thing that I sold on my own and um and then i as that was being developed i took what i had learned on the movie side which was like okay well before that's passed on i'm going to try and sell something else (laughs) and so i uh was able to sell something at showtime um called lords of chatsworth but that idea was about a, a dad who came up to me and uh was pitching me a story and and most of the time, that happens. And it happens often. People are like, I have this idea for a such and such, and what do you think about this? And I try and not fall into that category of pitching my ideas to other parents, but it happens. And now, like, you know, you're going to see selling at kids' birthday parties, you're going to see selling at uh, a parent fundraiser.
2: <laughs>
1: and um, so I. I Pitched Lords of Chatsworth is essentially about these four dads who um, meet on this mandatory dad's night at Chili's, which is like uh, your wives want you to go out and meet some friends, meet some new friends, and then you kind of go out and hang out with these dads who you don't really have anything in common and you just kind of want it to end. But this particular scenario is I went and this dad was pitching me this idea about opening up a... um, a poker-only casino on this sovereign nation's land in Chatsworth for reals. And, uh, I, and he was asking me for, like, investment money. I was like, what, wrong? I'm renting. I'm like, there's no chance. And I said, but I love that story. And it's really interesting. And so, we developed, uh, so he's like, take it, take it. So, developed the pitch into this really cool idea and sold it to, um, David Nevins at Showtime, who's who's my my, my favorite executive I've ever met, and uh, he he was um uh, he had really great ideas, great thoughts, and even though it wasn't greenlit, it was like uh, that was the that's the tone of, of writing the, of what once inspired me of like back to that Fast Times at Richmond High. So yeah. now it might be more you know compared to like Weeds you know, a little bit of hangover. It's kind of that, you know, um, mixing that responsibility with irresponsibility. And uh, so, but when that didn't sell, I, you know, so that was like three years ago, three seasons ago, I just, I, I made a pivot into exploring the digital space. And still realizing how it's up in the air what that even means you know of like how to make money and, and how does that mean that I'm creating digital content and not doing the others no I'm, I'm not but I am the there was a um, there is a sense of catharsis in being able to write and direct and produce and edit content and put it out there and then you know uh, but then it becomes the next level of going out and trying to sell it and trying to market it, which brings me back to, so like I'm ta- I'm currently taking agency meetings. And it's something that so I'm going back into uh, that world that I sort of came out of and, and made this pivot and saying, yeah. can I do both? Can I pursue a digital career of, of creating comedy and um, mixed in with getting back into trying to sell and, and what does that even mean are people buying screenplays um, and so I've I've started taking these agency meetings I've, I've, this week is is sort of uh, today is the last one that I'm taking and, and um, which is bringing me back now I'm doing it alone and you know but I'm going through the same level of their pitching even agencies now are pitching me how they see me you know what they think that they can do for me and it's it's a good it's a good thing to see, like how you can have a. I have a view of myself and how I see myself in the marketplace and how what they think. And they're all young now. They're much younger than me. They're very, you know, they're still as slick. <laughs> you know. Um, so what uh, are some of the things
0: that they try to tell you that convince you to sign with them? That, uh,
1: um. Well, the ones that that. None of them are saying, like, we think that you can be selling scripts for a million dollars. Which is like, I know it sounds crazy, but like when I started, um, my agent at this boutique agency, Justin Silvera, who's uh, a manager now, he's a real great guy, great manager, he had sold the script for Dude Where's My Car, and then he had sold the script, the original script of Something About Mary. And those numbers were climbing up towards... um, like 950,000 to a million and it was like so starting out there was that was the gold rush of like you can fucking sell a script for a million dollars like what and it's it seems out of this world but it was like that's how inflated things got you know in in that realm and so those selling pitches and selling those ideas of that's what agents would sell us at the time so now I'm happy to to say that they're not selling that because you know it's not true, you know, but... So is it more saying like
0: they're selling you we'll get you writing assignments, we'll get you work? Is that more of the uh, take that they have? You
1: know, the first thing that they're saying is like, they're like, why aren't you working? And I'm like, well, that's what my wife says. I'm here for you to tell me like how (laughs) you can get me to be working. And um, the ones that I like are ones uh, that have a, a... are not ignoring the digital side. And yeah. some are, which is crazy to think. Some are being like, "Nah, they're not saying it's a fad, but they're just like, don't worry about it. They're like, if you're doing anything on the digital side, it's it's a lifestyle thing and it's like you have your Instagram and and uh but the ones that are like, "No, you're going to use that digital to show that you can direct and that you can produce while simultaneously you're writing idea and there's crossover. Um, those are the ones that I'm really liking, and those ones are not surprisingly they're not in the bigger, you know, the the bigger agencies.
0: A more traditional, I guess, in that they just want to focus on TV and. Movies. They just
1: want me to sell. Go yeah. back to my quote where I sold for a lot of money, and even though it's not it's not realistic for me at this point, I feel they they have clients that are just they just are huge and crush and. So that's the only way that they would sign me. It's the only way that they'll even see me. Is they'll look at they like they won't go back and read my this is what I said. The big agents that I've that I've met with, they haven't read my scripts because I always ask a specific question to know if you've read. And it's like early. It's like in the first 5 pages. And if they don't know the answer, I know that they didn't read it. But they'll they know my quote. So they're like a quote is what I got paid for on my last pitch. And then they'll, so the, cause those are all in the records. And so they could just call business affairs and be like, he used to make this much money. What happened? Does he have bad relationships out there? Not necessarily, but, um, he hasn't been working in a while. And so they'll, they'll like use that as a challenge to get me that quote. But to me, that would ultimately lead to an empty feeling again. So the, the, the agents that, um, can answer the question of like about that little specific thing that I wrote, and then have a an idea of wanting to mix digital, being current in what's really happening in the world, with the traditional TV and film. It sounds good to me, so I don't know if it's right, but it makes more sense. I, I can I can stomach it more that they're going to be setting me up with. After you say yes to an agent, then it's you go back to those general water meetings. You know, and and out of those, however, which I feel grateful to have because I've refused them or not done them for the past four years. And, you know, haven't got paid much the last four years. You know, it's been, like, sporadic here and there. And so... um,
0: So you felt like at a certain point you really didn't want to grind it out in that same sense where are not taking those general meetings and...
1: You know, what happened was that they would, like... You know, having uh, a title like Van Wilder with Ryan Reynolds, that would get me in the door.
2: Yeah.
1: And then they would look at uh, a couple of the scripts that I wrote, and then they'll be like, okay, well, you're proficient as a writer, you know? And then, um, but my, I would look at myself and I wouldn't have like a project that was ready to go. You know, and so I would, it would fall right back into what they are, what they think for me and what their idea is for me. And if they don't like my writing or if they think that I would just, the person that they would, they would have me meet with would be somebody that they're trying to fulfill that relationship for them and not for me.
2: Yeah.
1: Which is ultimately my fault if I don't have a, a script or an idea. And, and, and my friends that are successful tell me that I'm supposed to tell them what I want them to do. You know?
0: In what sense?
1: I'm supposed to tell the agent, like, I want you to give me a meeting with um, Judd Apatow's company. Be that know? specific, Yeah. Yeah, Like, I want you to, me- I think this Adam Sandler's, come- and if they, and they're like, no, no, Adam Sandler's not doing this, but, but such and such is new and upcoming and they might be. And that's the true test of it. So that comes back to like, just knowing, uh, what you want. Which is hard because like I, every day when I, you ask, when, when I wake up, do I make a list? And I do, I make a goal sheet and like here's the projects that I'm working on and like I wake up at 6am now and I help get the kids off to school, but then from like 7 until 11, 30, 12 I usually try and knock off like two things from that list. Yeah. But then you get like a, a, an email from a producer about this idea and then you're like going back into that file. You know, or then you get this this thing and be like, oh, you have to cover this, and, and all these
0: things take you off course.
1: They take you off course, yeah. maybe, and that can take you off course for like two weeks. You know, and so like that's also something that I didn't used to have because I didn't know anybody, so I just had my head down and I just was would work and I would write and then I would I would just go to work and then I would come back and then I would work and so now, you know. Trying to eliminate the noise and trying to like just stay focused is is a it can become its own, you know, um, challenge.
0: Yeah. Well I when I uh, I stumbled upon your Instagram account and that's how we kind of oh, connected. Yeah. But I saw like those Average Dad shorts that you had on Instagram and that they were on Vimeo and they were really well done. Oh, so thank I was you. curious, like are those thank little you. snapshots of what Average Dads is or is that like a mm-hmm. web series you're working on or
1: yeah, thank you. We're doing what's called a slow four-year rollout.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, we. So so that started um, when after Lords of Chatsworth, I had come up with this idea about um, a dad like myself um, deciding not to go with an agent, an agent himself, and use the celebrity parents and celebrity executives to try and do deals at my kids' school, as I had mentioned. And so, uh, one of the um, executives was Mike Wright, who's super lovely guy, and he's now at DreamWorks, but he was um, running TBS comedy at the time. And my kid and his kid were in kindergarten, and that idea um, became Bad Parents. And then when he left, telling other people's business, but when he left to then go to DreamWorks, Bad Parents fell in that place where it's like a new regime comes in, and. I actually really like what TBS is doing right now. I think that that, that particular show fits in with them, but... Yeah. Um, and then Lords of Chatsworth was another thing, another idea that was, that was generated after my pivot of saying I'm going to sort of step away from Hollywood, write what I know in my life, and then maybe go back in. And then when Lords of Chatsworth didn't go, I decided the next idea I was going to do, I was just going to produce it myself, similar to Saving Ryan's Privates. And... Um, I, the next year, my kid was in class with Jamie Presley, uh, actress from My Name is Earl. She's on Mom. She's really funny and cool. And uh, so I, my first notion was pitch her this idea that I had for, for um, a TV show and then get her attached and go the traditional way. But instead, I just asked if, um, I told her that I had this idea that I've broken into uh, it was a 30 minute pilot that I essentially broke into three minute clips. And the season one storyline is about me using my kid to get a play date with Jamie Presley's kid so I can pitch her my series idea. But all I really um, all I get a chance to pitch to is the nanny and the manny. And then they have like really good notes and then they sort of become like my surrogate managers and um, they turn out to be connected within the suburb and within the school in a way that I, that I never was before. And so, whereas I think like my friends are, are supposed to be like famous cool parents, it's really like the working class that I'm comfortable with yeah. and that's, that, that's my crew. And so, average, so Average Dads LA is a web series of episodes that are like snackable episodes you know so they're like between three and five minutes and now we're doing so eight of them are gonna be up on the website are up on the website as we officially are are rolling it out and then from that I met yeah thank you and then from that I developed a relationship with Jamie Presley's Manny his name is Ryan and started hanging out with him and his friends and they're all not all of them, but a lot of them are. are they have multiple jobs. There's a couple in real estate, a couple of them are actors, um, uh, improv comedians. And I started developing this idea for a Real Nannies and Real Mannies of Los Angeles, which became this show called Manny Mafia. And it's a, sort of the show chronicles what type of things happen in a gated community when other parents are at work and the kids are at school. Yeah. And so. Those things now, as I'm taking these agency meetings, are having these agents interested in me pitching those traditionally based on the digital content. But for me, I'm more interested in keeping in... I'm raising money now to do an Average Dads LA Season 2 and um, turn Manny Mafia into a short film. And so, you know, I'm like learning as we go how to how to take this content that I like and, and I funded and produced myself and parlay it into and parlay it into something more traditional and you know that's also I don't know what the fuck I'm doing you know, it's like, No, it's like, you, I get to that point where I'm like everybody that I talk to that's having even success on YouTube or success on Vimeo they still have this feeling of like not really knowing how to make money you know and, and and looking at it as a as a springboard into projects other projects that they want to do yeah
0: not as the end result but just kind mm-hmm. of like a, something to yeah use as the next step yep yeah, which is I was watching those and they were really well put together they were funny they had like a real voice to them so that's why i was curious they were i saw them on that vimeo page Mm -hmm. but i didn't i couldn't find anything else yeah we just
1: literally started i mean we're a we're a home based company that my wife is building she's my coder she builds the website (laughs) and um but the the i appreciate the, the note on the quality and it's like you know i wanted to make sure to to get a great cinematographer and 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 hire funny actors and, and um, make it look great and um, ultimately my my goal would be to bring that type of, of you know like uh, feature film and T V type of quality onto the digital side and make comedy and, and create content every day as I just you know when like I take my kids to school for there's just always stuff that happens and the more and more parents in these conversations that I have, um, there's a lot of people that are uh, looking for a pivot, you know, and then yes. and they're like, and I, I'll like tell them about like, what's it like to accomplish your dreams? Like I'm asking them and then they're like, I got four kids, man. I'm miserable. You know, like not miserable about the whole thing, but like that's my life is like paying the mortgage for these kids you know, not having an outlet and like looking for, you know, whatever their vital distraction is, whether it's like that Pilates class or that like, um, taking their kids to soccer where then they're just like on social media or whatever it is, it's like, um, writers have a feeling of like that we're all alone, but I think that there's, there's what I'm finding, especially now, and maybe it's because we are like in the deep valley, you know, where it's like... It's not too far away, but it it, it feels disconnected that people, like, are... They come up and share stuff with me a lot, like, fast, and, like, in the morning. You know, it's, like, 7 a.m. They have no one else to vent to. Yeah, yeah. "Yeah." I drop the kids off, and then I'm walking out, and the next thing you know, I'm walking out, and they're telling me this story on the way to the car in the parking lot, and I'm, like, this is an episode, and I'm, like, but if I... The, the old version of me would take that episode and turn and like in, which character in which pitch could I incorporate this arc into and then let me try and um, pitch it to my producer see if he likes it if, if he'll return my call sometimes that call doesn't get returned for like a week or two you know and they say we're trading calls but that really means that like, they're not calling you back um, and uh, but then you'd like pitch it to him and then and then they like it and maybe like oh this and so that's what like makes me veer into like or I could go that way or I could go home and write it either cast myself in it or or call up a friend or, or call up a neighbor and say and do and then like produce it and then and then have it ready and to be out and so like in the average Dad's LA way we have like a curb your enthusiasm type of outline. It wasn't as good as Kirk Marthews and the not even close, but it was it was a beginning, a middle and an end for each scene. And the script was like eight pages. And um, I wanna like try and capture real life moments and then find comedy in it, if it's funny. And if it's not funny, then I still kind of wanna put it out because I like that um, I like things that are a little polarizing. And sometimes it's weird because it's like polarizing even in my own house like uh, with my my just starting Instagram from having like zero followers to then uh, you know whatever it, minuscule amount it is I'll like <laughs> I told my wife I said okay for Average dads, I'm going to start posting three times a day I'm going to have a morning post I'm going to have an afternoon post I'm going to have an evening post and then we're going to start um, we're going to then move that into YouTube and we're going to be One of the things I'm hearing is consistency. If you can consistency, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's the podcast I listen to. I listen to Hollywood Handbook and um, Who Charted and and, uh, Kill Tony and these late comedy podcasts. But I listen to them every day. And when they're not, like, there when I want them to be there, I get, like, what the fuck? And it's free, which is ridiculous of me to think that way. But that's, like, the world that we're, you know, it's the on-demand world we're living in. And so, like, I would, like... Started like really paying attention to my posts for about a month. This is like last month and Then um, I asked my wife. I said can you be my you know be my algorithm person? You know can you like see who's liking what let's see if we can start to tailor-make it and then to like I'll like Post something that I think people will love nobody loves it and then I'll post something I'll just think it's like a filler thing and then like it'll get like a lot of traction and then I'll post something that my wife will, like, she'll, my wife, she'll, like, walk in the morning and, like, she'll kind of, like, be on her way out and she'll look into my uh, office and she'll be like, that last post? And I'll be like, yeah. And she went the other day, she's like, it's a little much. <laughs> and, like, I don't know if she's right or not. And what she means is that, you know, like, for me, being open and honest about, um, like my place in the entertainment industry and being like a father and it was it was it was basically my kid was holding a, um, a plate and uh, she had woken up she's she's uh, my daughter Skylar she's six and she had woken up and uh, her hair was like disheveled and she was just like uh, came to my office and was asking if I can if she can have some goldfish in the morning which I don't usually let her have um, and then I, I noticed that she was standing next to my Van Wilder one sheet which is like um, uh, on its way either up on the wall or to the garage, I'm not sure. And uh, so I just wrote this, the joke that I thought was funny which was like, please write something funny, I'm starving. And uh, my wife thought it was a little much because it was like, uh, I don't know, maybe trying to get sympathy or trying to like, Well, for me it was like, that's how I feel. You know, it's like I feel like uh, where I used to write for me to maybe like, I don't know, to become popular and cool and get like a cool girlfriend and like be like, be someone that's that deserves any type of success to now I'm like, no, if I don't, if I don't sit down and that find that discipline to write like they're not, they're not going to eat, you know, like we're not going to be able to live here. We're not going to be able to live in this school district that has like a great public school. So it's uh, it brings me back to like finding that balance of, you know, not caring whatever other people think. You're zero fucks given, that which is not right. You can't have zero fucks given. You have to you have to give fucks. To then have that point of like believing in yourself and just writing, you know, your truth and keeping things in, in the the agency that I'm that I that I really like that I think I'm gonna go with is he said he picked out something then he called the stories that I was talking about as authentic. Yeah. And that it was organic. And that's I didn't used to be authentic. You know, I used to have like a I was like I lied a lot. And I would say it was like storytelling, but I just was like I would lie to like to even like I would just have flourishes on stories upon stories and just stuff in your like general that. general
0: life outside of the, I would just yeah.
1: take, yeah. I mean, for sure. I mean, I've, I was maybe was like told a girl that like I was like um, auditioning for Saturday Night Live when I really wasn't, you know, and things like that. And uh, I don't feel, you know, I never said anything mean, but it was really just an insecurity-based thing to be like, when you asked me, did I feel like I made it? No
0: sort of describe this whole journey that you've gone through and that, you know, really it's you're still learning now just as much as all that time ago when you felt like you broke through with Van Wilder.
1: Yes. And I feel Um, like um, maybe, you know, I, I wrote myself some notes before coming here and there were like things that I wanted to make sure that I, that I um, but
0: I think this is like a really good conversation oh, because cool. it shows people what the reality of being a writer is. It's not just—it's not glamour. It's not always even being paid extremely
1: well. Yes, you know. In a way. It's a—you know—I was just at the 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 top of the note that I was going to say was don't complain. And um, for myself, I was giving yeah. myself a note: stay humble, and um, and uh, be grateful for for where you are. And those were like the top three, and then also. Um, don't talk shit about anybody that I worked with, so I hope I accomplished all of those by <laughs> not accomplishing, but the 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 fifth one is that, you know it's, um, it's really it's really hard and like, uh, a, um it can be soul crushing, you know, because like you get, you get a lot of passes, like even in the, the successes you just, it's a constant kind of um, back to work and back to grind, and so if I had something to fall back on, I might have fallen back, and that was so. I don't know if it's a if it's a cautionary tale, or if it's a. Um well,
0: here's like an overarching question, sure. You know, based on what you said, yep. and uh, what motivates you to keep doing it when you, you know it's, it's so difficult, so you know sometimes soul crushing in a way. Sure. I what think brings you back to? Uh,
1: Great question. I'm glad you asked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do love it. Yeah. I love writing. I love, um, I should say, I love writing with the idea that it's going to get made. You know, so like, I, I don't want to say like, I, the, the, the idea of writing, like, I have my son write every day you know, come home and just, and I and, and think he's a pretty funny kid and write his thoughts down his journal. I don't look at it, but so like I the the idea of the catharsis of writing and, and getting it out, I think is very important. But if I don't write with the idea of this is going to be going to production and, you know, 99% is not going to, but then I don't, I find that for me, I don't have the motor. I don't have the engine, you know, and so like I like to write with the idea of, of, you know, think Amy Poehler or think, um, you know, uh, Nick Offerman or anybody from Parks and Rec. Or like, you know, picture this character, this actor in mind reading your, you know, or their manager reading your your script and feeling like, oh, this, I feel this, I I feel where this guy is, you know, I I see where this guy is. Because when I look back at my work, I don't, when I don't feel it, when I like watch something or I read something, it bothers me. And so I think like, um... I still do it to answer that question, maybe to, to like show that I'm better, you know, or that like I, I do belong now and like I can um like I can sort of be in the club and I can kind of like get back on that on that set and and, uh, and work with Ryan again. You know, so it's like it it's it is a drive where now I know what it's like and so I feel like I'm a little bit more informed. I'm certainly more educated and more prepared for it, and I. but I do realize that it may not ever come again, you know? Um, and so I'm trying to find that middle ground of confidence and, um, you know, keeping it organic and authentic, yeah. but also realize that it's changed, and the executives I'm pitching to, uh, you know, likely didn't see them while they're in the theaters, you know, likely don't like it or Girl Next Door, or. or um, and so it's, you're only as good as your next pitch, you know, as your next idea. And so outside of the financial aspect, you know, the drive is insecurity. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: thank you so much for doing this today. And I, I encourage everybody to follow you on Instagram, Average Dads. So
1: Thank you very much. It was, a, it was a pleasure. Cool. And I like what you do. It's, it's awesome. nice. No, I appreciate yeah.
2: it.